You are listening to the After the Timeout podcast, hosted by John Palicki and Todd Zazito. Two high school head coaches talking basketball on the court, off the court, and anything in between. On today's episode of the After the Timeout podcast, we sit down with James Jones, head men's basketball coach at Yale University. Coach Jones discusses speaking to your team about social justice and racial equality and the overall program culture he has built over his 21 years as the head coach at Yale University. Within the Yale culture, we talk about his coach's development, player development, and winning the first NCAA tournament game in Yale University men's basketball history. You can follow Yale Men's Basketball at Yale M Basketball. You can also follow Coach Jones at James Jones underscore Yale. Enjoy the show. So when I was, I looked, you know, we knew we were going to have on and, you know, I, I like to do my, my homework and research and kind of see maybe what's new with the program. One of the, one of the first things I noticed specifically with you is, you're you're super involved in organizations that are are promoting diversity, um, you know, racial equality and knowledge uh, um, of of diversity and racial equality. What I want to take it from like talking to your players aspect of it. How how do you start those conversations with your players? Because I think that's really important for all coaches when there's tough conversations, whether it be um, diversity, equality whatever is going on in the world. Um, how, how do you start those conversations with your players and what do you guys do in your program to have those conversations? Well, I think our players and, you know, ever since, um, you know, the George Floyd uh, killing um, kind of set the tone for the, for the nation. And uh, I believe my guys have a thirst for knowledge to understand and try to, you know, make reason of what's going on in our country. So it's very, it's not very difficult to try to communicate with them and, We've done a lot of different things uh, as a group. You know, everybody's at this point is at home and we've been doing um, bi-monthly Zooms with the team and we've had TED Talks and then we broke off into rooms and we talked about uh, them individually um, in these small groups and then we got back and uh, everybody together and we discussed them. Uh, We had our guys talk about uh, someone of color uh, in their life that has helped change and shape who they are. So there's a bunch of different things that we've tried to do um, to try to enhance the knowledge of uh, what's going on, to try to enhance our knowledge so we can understand better what's going on in our country so we can change it. So I guess let's take it, maybe we're both high school coaches, so let's take it down to that high school level. What would be something you think, especially with high school athletes who are still developing their, their thoughts and opinions, and a lot of times maybe their opinions are still of those of their parents, right? Because that's all they, all they know. Uh, at the high school level, how would you think... Uh, or what would you suggest to start some of those conversations with them and start developing well, that kind of culture? Well, facts matter, you know? So I think one of the biggest problems with our country is that the way we've taught history, um, it hasn't been a clean history. It's been a, a, a history where it's made us comfortable. So um, just trying to, you know, have young men and young women understand what has really transpired in this country and the reasons why we are where we are. Um, unless you understand your history, there's no way that you uh, you're going to be able to do any better and you, you know like just like, like they say you're doomed to repeat it so 
we want to make sure that we get facts to our guys and start talking to them about what it is that has transpired and, and why we are where we are. Um, and, you know, as I said, most young people are going to have a thirst for this. And it's my hope and my feeling that the younger generations are going to uh, make our country better. Um, you know, I have to worry about my 15-year-old son driving in a car and I have to worry about all my players driving in a car who are, who are of color. And uh, I hope my hope is for them that they don't have to worry about their kids. Um, you know, sadly, Rodney King, um, I was, a, I believe, in high school um, when that happened in, in L.A. And um, things haven't changed. So uh, my dad had to worry about me and I have to worry about my son. And hopefully the next generation, things will be better. You know, as, as somebody that my my bachelor's degree was in history, as you were saying that, Coach, I, I was almost like in the background, like, yeah, I agree. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it does. It needs to be taught in a multicultural way. So, you know, going, in, going into your program and, and, and going into, you know, your guys' culture, you know, something I really noticed was that you've had five coaches go on to be head coaches that have worked for you or five assistants that have gone on to be head coaches. You know, what do you look for in an assistant? You know, um, and, you know, why do you think so many of your assistants have gone on to be head coaches? Well, um, we, we look for guys that, uh, you know, have a similar thought process that I do. Um, uh, but at the same time, guys that are going to challenge me and uh, help me become a better me. You know, um, I think that if I had assistant coaches that just said yes to everything that I said or believe, well, we wouldn't get very far. I think that it's through those tough conversations that we have, because we have tough conversations as a staff about uh, how best to utilize our personnel. And um, I may not uh, take every suggestion that my assistants have, but I listen to every suggestion. I think that's important. So uh, it's, it's it's always been important for me to make sure my guys feel vested in who we are and what we do, that they're a huge part of it. And um, I'm proud of the fact that I've had five guys that are head coaches right now. And I have a couple of guys on my staff that are uh, ready to be head coaches as well. And they're ready for their opportunity. It's just so hard. If you think about this um, college basketball, there's only 353 jobs, I believe. And to get one of those, it's really coveted. So it's really hard. So. I'm blessed to have had a bunch of guys go and, and go on to uh, other programs and lead their own programs and, you know, in the direction that they see fit. Uh, I remember as assistant coach, I had, I was full of piss and vinegar and um, <laughs> believed, I believed in everything I thought. And I wanted to give every, every one of my thoughts to my head coach. And at the time, you know, he listened to me to a point. And then one day he had to say, Hey, James, listen, when you get your own damn team, you can do whatever you want. But right now we're going to do it my way. <laughs> um, you know, it's one of those things that you kind of learn early where your place is. So uh, understanding that and understanding that uh, it's important for you guys to have voices and I want them to do everything in our program. So uh, we don't have guys to just recruit or just scout or uh, just work with the players on the court. We have our guys do a little bit of everything. So when they get the, their opportunity, they'll be ready for it. As they say, there's only one name in the, uh, in the newspaper, right coach? Pretty much, pretty much, you know, so you, we have to understand who we are and, and what we're trying to do. But at the end of the day, we're all we all want the same thing. We all want to be, be successful. And we all want to win championships. But there's only if, if we have more than one way that we're trying to do it, it's going to be very difficult. That's why my staff and I, we collectively uh, come together to try to build the program as best we can. And, and the image that I see fit and um, hopefully that's good enough at the end of the day. So you've answered a little bit there at the end. I'm always interested in this because every staff does it different. Um, 
what are your some of your roles for you guys? Obviously, they have things and everything, but some coaches have offensive coordinators. Some coaches have defensive guys. Um, and obviously, every coach has specialties. So how do you kind of organize responsibilities? Uh, obviously, everybody's contributing to everything at times, but um, is there specific things that your assistants do or your specific things you're looking for when you hire assistants to defensively, well, offensively in that? No, you know, I, I've been fortunate that um, I've grown my assistant coaches um, from our volunteer positions. So they've had a chance to, you know, sink their teeth into the program, understand who we are. And then when it's time to, for them to become a head coach, it's a, a seamless transition. So in terms of our roles on our staff, you know, there's strengths and weaknesses with everybody. You know, some guys might be better with a zone. Some guys might be better with uh, a zone defense. Some guys might be better with uh, a zone press or, or a man-to-man press. So, you know, we take the strengths of our individuals. And, um, you know, it's my job to figure out who's good at what and try to lean on those guys and point them into in the specific areas to help our program. But at the end of the day, everybody's going to have a hand in almost everything that we do. So like I said, so when they move on from me, they'll be ready to, to take on any challenges they see. All right, so in talking about your coaching staff, I saw uh, your, your clinic the other day. Uh, actually, a couple of times I kind of did both the, uh, the original one on that Saturday and then and the replay because I was in and out with the kids uh, trying to pick it up. So it's kind of a two-part question here. Obviously, last season was a, more, was a normal season, right? So in a normal season, what does your, what does your player development look like, whether it be off-season, in-season? Um, how, do, how, do, how do you structure that throughout the year? Well, we're fortunate to, um, you know, we built our program as such that the older guys teach the younger guys. You know, um, you know, we had, we were on a court um, this fall and we only have about six guys on campus. A lot of guys opted out because at Yale, if you're on campus, you usually, you lose a year eligibility. So our guys opted out knowing that we probably were not gonna play this season. So we have 10 guys opt out. That being said, I had six guys on campus we had three, three upperclassmen and we had three freshmen. And we were doing some ladder, some, some ladder drills and some uh, footwork drills. And Wyatt Yes, who's a senior, was teaching Luke Kalaja, who's a freshman. So it's kind of our development happens from our upperclassmen teaching our younger guys. Um, but what we want to make sure they do is they're going to learn the right way. So um, you know that you're doing the right job as a coach when, you're, when your players repeat what you're saying. And to have our up, upperclassmen teach our younger guys, you know, that that's, you know, it's it, sometimes players don't want to listen to coaches, but, you know, when they, when they look at an upperclassman who's kicking their butt one-on-one, they're bound to listen to that guy a little bit more. So it's one of those things that, um, you know, we're bred through our program in terms of how we work. And we're fortunate they've gotten to a point where that does, that, that happens. We have a breeding process. So our young guys come in, they hit the ground running with our upperclassmen. And we really try to work on some individual skill work with our guys leading into how we play. So everything that we do in terms of how we play, that's what we work on with our guys individually. So then go, I also heard you say going into this year, possibility your roster is going to be bigger than it normally is. Um, so in terms of evaluating, right? Because obviously there's going to be has to be have some evaluation done with a bigger bigger roster as there is always but we got you got to really really know what, what are you guys looking at this year in terms of evaluating guys making those decisions on uh on playing time you know as you get into workouts hopefully in the winter and into into next year with a with a in theory bigger roster 
Well, the most important thing uh, in that is getting your guys to believe in what it is you're trying to do. Uh, that being said, um, we're probably going to have uh, eight, maybe a nine-man rotation. So you may going to make sure you don't want to have too many disgruntled employees. So if you have nine guys on nine guys that play, and you have a 16 or 17-man roster, that's maybe eight guys that aren't playing. So, and of the nine guys that play, three or four of them aren't playing as much as they want to play. So now you got 12, potentially 12 guys, or, or you know. 10 to 12 guys on your roster that are disgruntled employees. So making sure everybody's buying into winning and everybody's buying into being the best team you can be, regardless of your role, is really the most important thing that we do. Guys, I, I was listening to, I was watching the game last night and uh, it was Purdue and they had a, a kid who didn't start the second half and the guy who started for him in the second half had scored two baskets or had an and one and he was the first guy off the bench cheering for him. That's what you want. That's what you need. If that guy's pouting on the bench, like everybody knows that he didn't start the second half. Everybody knows that. So if he's going to sit and pout on the end of the bench, that's going to be a negative cancer for your team. But if he gets up and he cheers on his teammates, that's when you know you got something special. So that's the most important thing in terms of trying to uh, build your team going forward. Now, in terms of trying to figure out who's going to um, play what roles and how much guys going to play. Sometimes that's going to be uh, difficult, but it's your job as a coach to know who fits in. So you start with your upper class and those guys are the ones that you know that have been through it. The guys, uh, you have some proven commodities and then you're really trying to go through practice to find out if any of those younger guys are going to help you. And, you know, as I have wa watched all our games from the last couple of years, I see that I have played so many more guys in, in our preseason before we get to our league. So I may play 12 guys in a game just to throw guys out there to see what they look like, to give them a bone to see if they can help you. And then by the time we get in our league, we're down to that, you know, seven, eight, nine man rotation going into our league. And, that, and that's what really is going to matter. But hopefully by that time, we will have made those decisions and guys are going to trust in what decisions that the coaches make and all get on the same page to try to win games. So I guess maybe it turned into a, Three-part question. Then I, I kind of always interested in how the you know the recruiting rules and the eligibility rules have changed. And obviously, your guys only stay for four. But how are you anticipating affecting you? You know, there's a there's a there's an effect down the road, right? It's no kind of snowballs. Yeah. How are you expecting the recruiting to be affected based on um, you know what you have going on this year and and down the road with your guys and eligibility? Well, it just goes to roster size, right? It's just you know trying to figure out our roster size and get it right so we don't have too many disgruntled employees. So we have to be able to make decisions and make the right choices of guys that we want to select. Um, you know, if you're only playing, you know, you only play five guys at a time, how many guys do you really need? You know, you don't need a 20-man roster to figure out how many, which five guys you want to play. Um, so, you know, we feel like we've done a really good job at, at uh, finding guys that um, can really help us win. And now it's our job to find out the best, best mix of those guys to put in games to play together. So let's go to 2016. You've been at you've been at Yale for about 20 years. At that point, you're in, you're in the NCAA tournament. You're playing Baylor. It's a it's a tight game. It's a close game. And after the game in the handshake line, the calmest person in that stadium was Coach Jones. So you know, what was what was going through your head at that time? That was that was 20 years of work that you put in 
to to get that first NCAA tournament victory? Well, I wasn't as calm when I got to the locker room. I tell you that much. Um, I kind of let it go out. But here's the deal: um, as a coach, um, I always felt it was my job to be on the control. Well, I didn't always feel that way. Let me start from the beginning. Uh, my first couple of years at Yale, I was absolutely out of my mind. I threw my jacket off almost every game. I got a few technicals here and there, not many, but uh, too many to count. And um, I got to the point where I figured out, well, that really wasn't helping anybody. Um, it wasn't helping us play better. Sure as hell wasn't helping us win any more games. So me being out of control didn't help. So for me, being calm and being able to, you know, try to figure out, like, just think about the, 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 the equations that go on in my head through the course of a game, who to play, what defense to play, when to, when to change up, when to do X, Y, or Z. So it's hard for me to be able to do that if I'm going crazy, uh, jumping up and down. So uh, being calm is really important uh, for me because now if I'm calm and under control, that's, the, that's what I want to show to my kids so they play that way. If I'm going up and crazy, I kind of give them carte blanche to do the same. And that's obviously not what you want. You want them under control and, and figuring out what it is they need to do and be able to have, be able to think through it. So that's kind of the way I've always, that's the way I've handled myself the last probably 15 years or so. And it, it's, it's done me well. And, you know, I think back upon uh, after winning that game, um, I think I was a little too excited in the locker room. You gave you guys the feeling that it was over. And if I had to do it all over again, I would have been calm in the locker room and just talking more about the next game against uh, against Duke because we really didn't play well in that first half. We got we got down by 23 and we came back and, you know, it was a three-point game with 40 seconds to go. You know, so I, we had a great charge in the second half. But if we would have played a little better in the first half, we were a little bit under control, a little bit more ready for that situation, uh, we could have won that game as well. So, um, you know, as I, as, as, as I was thinking about as I was walking off the floor after getting, beating Baylor, I was just thinking how incredible it was. But I expected to win the game. You know, I expected that team was so good and we had played so well all season long. My expectation was that we were going to win that game. You know, the, the thing I found interesting too, and, and then I had heard you talk in a, in a clinic uh, in the spring was, you know, the first, the first thing you talked about in that post game was about rebounding. And then I, you know, I listened to that clinic uh, where I learned so much that I've talked to my staff and, and Todd and, and so many people just about your ideas about rebounding. So just kind of take me through the, the importance of rebounding in your program, because to, to win the NCAA tournament game, the first thing you talk about rebounding, that, that's definitely something important to you. Yeah, well, like so and we don't you don't get enough credit because of the, the uniform name that we wear. Right. We led the nation in rebounding in 2016. We got a higher percentage of offensive and defensive rebounds than any other team in the country. Uh, I believe that um, Baylor was first in the country in offensive rebounding, and we were fifth in the country in, uh, we, in offensive rebound. We were sixth in the country in defensive rebound, but they were like 123 in defensive rebound. So overall, we were a better defensive rebound, a better rebounding team than they were. And rebounding the ball is just more possessions. It's like, it's like taking away a turnover. So if you get a chance to shoot it, it just gives you more opportunities to, to make shots and put points on the board. And obviously it's less opportunities for the other team if they're one and done. 
So that's something that I've always uh, uh, hung my hat on. And it's something that everybody can do. And if you team rebound, you have a chance to be successful. You can't put it on one or two guys. It has to be on one through five or one through nine or 10, whoever, how many guys you play a game. It has to be on everybody to put your nose in there and get a little dirty now, push and shove a little bit because that's what it takes to be a really good defense, a really good rebounding team. And like I said, it's more possessions for us, less possessions for the other team and gives you a much better chance to win. Well, now I'm playing this for my team, just so you know, I'm playing that soundbite right there. <laughs> good stuff. So, so that kind of ties into uh, a little bit of X's and O's. I will, you know, when that's part of your off offensive defensive culture, that's one thing. I wanted to kind of strip away all the fluff, right? All the all false motion, all, all these sets. What are the two or three things of your program? If we walk into the gym, offensive defense that, that we know we can see right away, right? Two or two or three habits, two or three big points of emphasis that you guys have um, offensively or defensively. That, that build that culture and build your program to what you guys want to do? Well, i tell you what, one of the best compliments I ever received, I, I'll give you two compliments. First one came from Brad Stevens. Uh, we had one of my players work out with the Celtics. They needed, a, they needed somebody to work out um, before the draft. And Javier Duran, who was our point guard, had a great senior year. Uh, they asked him to come up and work out with him. And uh, after the workout, you know, Brad and I were in their um, strength room and he was like, listen, man, I really love your guy. His fundamentals are great. And watching him work out, they were doing all the things that we do defensively. So if you walk into a gym for us, one of the biggest things for us is closing out. Um, being able to close out with your hands high. Like if you were to come to my practice, you would hear, you would hear the, word, the words high hands 50 times, 100 times, you know, out of myself and Coach Kingsley. That's kind of like our thing. High hands, high hands, high hands. Like, don't have your hands down. You know, you hear Mark Jackson say it all the time, hands down, man down. Like, that's really important. It deters shots. But even a greater part of that is your footwork in how you close out, pushing the ball sideline, baseline, keeping it out of the middle of the floor, containing the basketball, because dribble penetration is going to kill every, every defense. If people can get to the middle of the floor, that's going to kill you. The way to stop that is your, um, your uh, closeouts, which, gives, which um, helps with less health defense. Because the more you have to help, the more you bend, the easier you are to break. So defensively, our closeouts and our help defense, stunning gaps and keeping people out of the middle of the floor, that's one of the things that we try to do defensively. Um, and that you'll see that in our practice. And then off offensively, we know we love to get post touches. We love our post guys to touch the ball in the box because, again, that's going to bend the defense. It's going to get everybody looking one way. And then we have cutters can move. And, again, our whole philosophy with offense, we want to bend you so we can break it. And again, defensively, we don't want to bend, so we break. So again, it's just a two-way street of how we try to work it. But those are a couple of things that we try to do on both sides of the ball. What about, uh, uh, just as a, a quick, interesting follow-up, you know, offensively, you know, are, are, do, you, do you stress more in transition? Do you stress more low turnover execution in the half court? You know, what are, what are some things you stress offensively? Well, it's interesting because uh, in 2018, when we won a championship, we were, we were really high scoring. We were like one of the fastest teams in the country in terms of how we played our tempo. And this last year, we were slower because it, our, our personnel dictated it. It's one of those things that um, I won't dictate a lot that way. I'll let it kind of work itself out with our team. I, 
I kind of trust our players and give them confidence to be the best that they are. I think that as a coach, the best thing that I do is to give confidence to my guys so they can be the best they can be. And so we give them rope and, and so they can, you know, get to the point where um, they can feel comfortable and feel really good about themselves. And um, if they can't, if they, if they prove they can't do it, well, then we have something else. Um, you know, I had one, they, they talk about two, like two point jump shots or a bad shot. You, so you talk to the analytic guys, but I've had some great guys over the years that were great. Like Alex Copeland was a killer at uh, two point dribble pull-ups. Um, Justin Sears and, um, and uh, uh, Matt Townsend were great at um, 15 foot jump shots. So we allowed them to take them because they were good at them. If they were not good at them, well, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have them do that. So um, our personnel will dictate a lot of who we are and what we do. I don't take a principle and try to put my guys into a principle or philosophy that I have. I will allow them to dictate what we are, what we do because of who they are. Um, I, th I think you run a risk if, okay, you want to run, but if you don't have guys that can run, why are we running? Yep. Right. If we want, if we want to play zone, if you guys don't have enough length, why are we playing zone? Yep. So my, 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 my personnel will dictate how we play. So obviously we're the, we're the after the timeout podcast. So, you know, we just kind of like to talk to coaches about their, their timeout. So, you know, what are some things you do in a timeout? Like if your team is not playing well for a stretch, what are, what are some of the things that you guys talk about to refocus them? If we want to get specific, you know, even in that, the Duke game, you messaged uh, mentioned after the Baylor uh, game, you know, what, what were some things when you were down 23 in a timeout that you kind of emphasized to, to kind of get you back into it? Well, it, it obviously it depends on what it is that we're not doing well. Okay. Are we not working hard enough? Is the other team just better than us this day? Are we getting good shots that we just missed? So it all depends on what it is that's the problem. I'll tell you techniques and what, like every time out, my staff and I, we huddle up and we talk for about, you know, 30 seconds or so. And I get a little bit from each coach for about 10 seconds. They tell me what they think is going on. And then I get into a huddle. If in fact, we're not playing hard enough, before I meet with my guys, I'll jump ugly on a team for about five, six seconds. Just, just you're just the ugliest I've ever gotten. I get that way for five or 10 seconds to let them know that we mean business. Then I'll let them calm down. I calm down, I'll go talk to the coaching staff and we'll go over what's going on. And then I'll get back in a huddle with a calmer voice, demanding what it is that we want in a, in a stern way, but not in a, not in an ugly way, so to speak. So um, they're, they're, that's a kind of a technique that, that we utilize depending on, it's all natural. It's not like I plan to do. It's not like, you know, okay, there's a timeout coming. I'm gonna jump ugly. It's just that what happens. Uh, it's just a natural order of the beast of how, how it works. Um, so depending on what it is that, that we're, what we're lacking, you know, are we not doubling the post? Uh, whatever it is that we're not doing well, we just try to make sure we concentrate on that. It's kind of hard to answer without knowing exactly what it is that we need, we need at that time. Yeah, no, that's absolutely understandable. So just have some fun to finish. You know, we always like to do a, a top five with, with coaches that we have on. And, and, you know, since I, you know, heard you talk about rebounding, we were wondering from you, any level of basketball, who are your top five rebounders that you ever saw? Oh, well, you know, obviously it's got to start with Dennis Robin. I told that you. That dude was absolutely insane when he came to rebound it was just fun to watch him because like you know you have players that well okay let me start this start it this way ever since you were 
five years old, after every single game, what does everybody ask you? How many, How points, many points you score? And, they don't, they, they, and so now for you to care about something else other than scoring, that's a special person. And Dennis Rodman also figured out if I'm going to be um, someone that's going to be respected in this league, um, well, I have to do something else because I can't shoot. <laughs> so I better do something. I better defend the rebound because I can't shoot it. So he was obviously number one. Uh, Moses Malone and was number was an, an, another guy. But Moses used to cheat. Moses used to throw that ball up against the backboard to get an extra rebound, which is incredible. And I'm old enough to have seen Moses Malone play for the 76ers when I was a young boy. Um, Will Chamberlain uh, was another one. Bill Russell, another guy. And, and probably Dave Collins. Those guys kind of stick out in my mind as guys that are going to have a little snot in their nose and go after it and get rebounds for their teams. I was I was thinking to myself when we were talking about this the other day, and I said, I bet you he says Dennis Rodman first. Yeah, so. well, you, you like think about I think about the era, right? I grew up with the Michael Jordan era, and uh, you know I see I saw that, and when like the, and you'll see clips of Dennis Rodman that are just absolutely incredible. I mean, it's just absolutely incredible. And there's a clip, and I believe it's it's the it's the I believe it's the Duke game, but I'm not sure. It could be pro, uh, the Baylor game where. Um, one of my players, Anthony Dyer, misses a three-point shot. Justin Sears knocks through three guys, gets an offensive rebound, throws it back out to Anthony Dyer, but he's right by around the free throw line after he throws the ball out. Dyer gets it and loads up for another three-point shot, and Justin turns and sprints right back to the rim to get another offensive rebound. And it actually went in, but that's why you win, because he's chasing the ball all the time because that's what we do like that that's who we are and um and that's just a special special skill to have and not many not many basketball players have it well coach we we dearly appreciate you joining us today we were both very excited to have you on we we both listened to you in many clinics and and heard you speak and have both been fans of yale basketball for a while so we we really do appreciate you joining us today Hey, guys, thank you very much. Uh, good to see you, Todd, John. You guys take care. And anything else I can help with, help you with, feel free to hit me up. Thanks, thank, Coach. Thank you very much. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, boys. Be good. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the After the Timeout podcast. For more information and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout. You can find all of our episodes on Anchor.fm, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts by searching After the Timeout. Thank you for listening.